successful media and public affairs consultant, accomplished entrepreneur and national writer and contributor, attorney who served in the Missouri House of Representatives, worked in the White House and CNN, thought leader, entrepreneur, and host who takes the conversation to the next level. Prepare to get rare access to fascinating guests. You're connected. You have the it factor. You've joined Grill Nation. Connect with Jason on Twitter at Jason Grill. Connect with the show on Twitter at Grill Nation Show. And online at GrillNationShow.com. Welcome your host of Grill Nation. Always dressed up and ready to go even in a radio studio. Here's Jason Grill. Hello and welcome to Grill Nation. I'm your host, Jason Grill. Thanks for listening today on KMBZ 980 AM and on GrillNationShow.com. Appreciate you joining us as well today via iTunes and Stitcher Radio via podcast. Uh, appreciate you always connect with me on Twitter at Jason Grill and at Grill Nation Show. Appreciate the follows. Hope you've been enjoying our last few shows. Uh, we've really enjoyed them ourselves. Really lucky to have some really great guests. Uh, and we will have one in studio today that will knock your socks off. It's another good, another uh, saying of the day. Nice. Um, and we also are lucky to have one of our partners and supporters of the Grill Nation show. Let me mention those real briefly before we get to our show today. Title sponsors of the show are Trust, MoBank, BLK Financial, and Two West Advisors and Ryan Rink. Uh, contributors and guest co-hosts to the show are the Rieger and Jay Rearing Co., Ryan Maybe, One Light Luxury Apartments and Reactor Design Studios, and Clifton Alexander, who's a guest host and on-air contributor once a month. He's with me today in studio. Welcome to the show, Clifton. Hey, Jason. How's it going? So how are things in your neck of woods? First off, before we yeah. get to that, I want to preview our guest yes. at the top of the show today yes. because we are very uh, lucky that uh, Clifton is very well connected here in the Kansas City area. And uh, he, he, from time to time, uh, brings in some really great guests. And one of them is today, John Nemeth, who is the director of AECOM Sports for the Americas. Yeah. And so tell us about this guy uh, before we get to segments. He's going to be following us after the break. But if you like sports architecture, if you like uh, look going to different sports stadiums, if you want to see the guy that designed them and, and helped get them done, he's going to be in studio today. Uh, he's worked on some amazing projects across the country. All over the world, really. Yeah. Um, you know, John is a, is a good guy. I've known him for, uh, more than 15 years, probably almost close to closing in on 20 years. We used to work together at LRB Beckett Architecture, which is now AECOM. They bought that, yeah. They bought, yeah, they bought, got bought out. And, um, but you know, John still works there. I, I left there a long, long time ago, but we've, we've stayed in touch and we have lunch once in a while and just talk about business and life and sports and architecture and all those sorts of things. But, you know, John is one of those pioneering kind of guys who's been around in the sports architecture field for, for decades. And has led and designed and been a project manager on some of the biggest, most interesting, uh, stadium, arena, uh, college sports pro- projects, uh, all over the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's part of the KC architecture, sports architecture community, which I want to talk with him a little bit about as well today. Yeah, I'd like to talk to him about that. So he's responsible for strategy and execution of AECOM's integrated sports platform in the Americas. The economics, cost consulting, planning, and programming, architecture, engineering, and operations. We're going to talk to him about kind of, yeah, about how he got into this, what he's worked on, some of the yep. stadium projects. We'll, we'll probably get into the new one that he, he had a huge hand in, which was the, uh, Sacramento Kings new yep. stadium. Uh, he is a, uh, diehard Packers fan, but his, <laughs> did some things for the Seattle, we'll forgive him for, for the Seattle stadium, uh, football yep. stadium, which are epic. 
and really help to to create their home field advantage. And there's some metrics behind that. Um, we're also going to talk to him about kind of some of his favorite things he's worked on, some of the favorite stadiums he's been to, uh, but also talk to him about kind of the process for stadiums. And uh, with taxpayer funding kind of an issue these days, what does he see as the future of, you know, uh, sports stadiums and design? And then we'll get into some of uh, some of those future thoughts with cost, labor, innovation, but also maybe potentially if we have time, talk to him about kind of the company culture and a company working in a company where eighty thousand employees. That's a huge uh, company. How do you how do you build company culture and and really kind of why he stuck around in this industry? I mean, it's exciting. I always thought about uh, if I had the the math and science skills. I always thought architecture was pretty cool, uh, and when you get to do it with sports arenas and stadiums, uh, when you're a uh, big sports fan, I imagine that's pretty cool as well, just to see the ins and outs of that. Looking for some of his inspiration today and kind of uh, learning more about what he does. I think it'll be interesting to talk to him. Yeah, it'll be a really good discussion. Uh, like I said, John's been around a, a long time in this industry, and he's a good guy. I've known him um, for a while, and he's one of those innovator types. And little known fact, I'm a bit of an architecture uh, buff. I didn't go to school for it, but if I did we, not go to school, I know, we're, we're but, if buffs, I, <laughs> but honestly, like my choices in college were either architecture school or design school. And I chose design school here in Kansas city instead of architecture school. Yes, you did. So, but you do a good job with it. I do. Yeah. So Clifton will be with us as well today. He's the thought leader from reactor design studios. Their website is reactorkc.com. Great company. We are lucky to have them as a partner of the show. He brings great guests and great knowledge each and every month to the Grill Nation show. Before we get into some of the connecting that you've done through the radio show, I just want to mention a quick event uh, that is coming up in the month of September. Uh, Wicket and Peg is a bourbon company here in Kansas City, and they are sponsoring a charity croquet tournament at Charbar. For most of this month, it's a 16-team round-robin style event with uh, over four dates from September 13th to the 30th. The Midwest Croquet Association will be managing the tournament and officiating. Proceeds will benefit giving the basics charity. Uh, Wicked and Peg is a good company I've worked with. We've had their founder on the show uh, in the past, Ethan Whitehill. is a good dude. Uh, and anyway, so they are doing a, a croquet tournament. I thought that was kind of interesting. Uh, if you want more information about it, you can go to the website, wnpevents.com that's wickedandpegevents.com so wnpevents.com you don't have to be a professional but uh, I think uh, Wicked and Peg is trying to bring back the uh, the outdoor sports if you will and uh, Charbar is a good place to do it so check that out benefiting giving the basics charity one thing you like to do Clifton is first Fridays Yes. And so you just came off of we one. We love First Fridays. And uh, unfortunately, I couldn't make it this time because you had uh, American Royal Barbecue yeah. that night, and I committed to that already. But uh, we had some symmetry there, and the Grill Nation show uh, yeah, connected you to yeah. uh, one person, and we got to keep connecting you to more. Yeah. But uh, tell us about that. Yeah, so uh, several months ago, I was listening to your show, as I always do, and you had a guest on named Meg Knappenberger, and she is a really cool... Um, excuse me, painter here in Kansas City. She decided to go painting full time and had a lot of support behind her to do that and listened to the show. And I thought, you know, I'm going to go check out her website, see what kind of work she has. And her work is awesome. It's really good. It's, it's very, 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 um, uh, colorful and dynamic. It's kind of like an impressionist in a way, but a more modern style using a palette knife. And so I reached out to her and said, Hey, would you be interested in a first Friday show at reactor? And she jumped at the chance. We got to meet her and, um, Megan and my team helped set this whole thing up. But basically she had her debut show 
at Reactor this last first Friday, and it was absolutely incredible. Um, it was crowded the entire night. I think she sold a whole bunch of uh, prints and had a lot of good family and friends and got some good energy out of that and a lot of good exposure in Kansas City as an artist, an up-and-coming artist. Yeah. And so thanks, Jason, for that sort of So that worked. I like it. totally it. worked, you know. And I, yeah. I mean, we can we can ask Meg at some point uh, how that worked. Maybe we can do a joint interview at some point. But sure. I thought for her it was extremely successful. For us it was very successful. Mm-hmm. We got to work with an up-and-coming artist help her out she got to get exposure um and in the kc scene yeah fun too awesome we had a great time great time uh, down in the crossroads of kansas city meg's a great person and we've had her on the show i did some work with meg back when she was in the uh branding world i guess you would say uh kind of in your neck of the woods uh but i'm glad that she see she is uh successful uh and very entrepreneurial doing her art thing and just i have a couple of her prints they're they're really cool so Excited that that worked out for you. Today's guest, Clifton Alexander, Reactor Design Studios, our guest host and thought leader. We're bringing on John Nemeth, who's the director of AECOM Sports for the Americas. This is a show you're not going to miss. John develops and designs stadiums and art arenas throughout the entire world. We'll be right back on Real Nation. Hello and welcome back to the Grill Nation show with your host, Jason Grill. I'm glad to be back today. Great first segment today with Clifton Alexander, a on-air contributor and guest host of the Grill Nation show every month. Appreciate you joining me today on 980 AM KMBZ, as well as at grillnationshow.com and on iTunes and Stitcher Radio. Very excited about our guest for the show today, Clifton uh has known this gentleman for quite a while, I believe, and uh, we, we previewed him a little bit in the first segment, um, but uh, why don't we have Clifton do the introduction of our guest today, okay. who is a, a director of at uh, AECOM and their sports uh, architecture, and, and he handles all of the Americas and probably touches a lot of stuff worldwide, too. We are really excited about sports in this, uh, both of us, aren't we, <laughs> Clifton, and we're very excited about architecture, yep. and, uh, kind of uh, stadium nerds, if you will, so... Uh, why don't you introduce John to the group? You bet. Yeah, I can't walk in. After having worked in a sports architecture firm, I can't walk into a stadium and not evaluate the effectiveness of certain things and, and talk in my mind about the design and the aesthetics and all of that. And uh, one of my buddies and friends, John Nemeth over here, sitting to my right, is the guy that we have on today to talk a little bit about some of those things. And so I've known John for uh, close to 20 years, probably, since my time at Ellery Beckett Architecture, and he's been there uh, even longer, I guess, um, now part of AECOM, which is a very large global uh, company. And so um, this is John. John, it's I don't John. know if you want to give us a little bit of a, a, a hey, hi, and a, and a little background, maybe describe some of that sort of how you got there and, and that sort of thing. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, and excited to be here as well. I was looking forward to this all weekend. And yeah, it was nice of knowing someone as long as I've known you, Cliff, and you still were willing to have me on the show. That's pretty good. <laughs> I don't know that not a lot of folks I've known that long still will answer the phone, but no, it's, it's been interesting. I mean, I, we, a little bit of backstory, like how did, how did I end up in Kansas City? Um, you know, it is, it is a, a classic of who you know, how you know it, right place, right time. You know, a good friend of mine from from graduate school. We were both interns in college. He ended up down here in Kansas City. Knew, 
you know, we, he and I were kind of cut from the same cloth, being kind of motivated, focused, ambitious guys. And I remember getting a call from him. He was about a year, year and a half ahead of me in college and got a call one day in my internship in, in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And he's like, I've already set up the interview for you. You just need to get your butt down here. <laughs> and, uh, that was the longest 36 hours of my life in terms of like, I mean, I guess we don't, we don't like hazing anymore, but I, I was put through the paces showing the sights of Kansas City and the nightlife of Kansas City. And then at 8 a.m. a Saturday morning had my interview and those poor two wow. nice old ladies that I flew back from Kansas City to Milwaukee with, I, I didn't think I was going to keep my, whatever was in my stomach down that flight. Oh, but man. the good news was I got the job. They said I looked like death when I went into the interview. And it's a great story. I've told it more times than I can remember. But it's also about just, you know, letting your passions come through. And I really wanted that job. And I mean, you know, funny story, even before that, my first internship, like official internship when I was in college, I ended up arguing with the partner of the firm because I didn't have the experience. He's like, well, you don't really know. I'm like, look, you give me 36 hours and I will learn whatever I need to learn so I can have this job. Don't even pay me. I will do it. Sure. And sort of that that sort of motivation and, and focus and ambition is sort of served me well over the last uh, 23 years or so. But that's how I ended up in Kansas City. And I've, I've been here ever since, and I've never looked back. And I've had two business cards, LRB Beckett and now AECOM, when AECOM acquired us. And I think it was 07. But mm-hmm. yeah, I've, there's a couple of us that are white elephants like that in the business where we've just only had one job. And I guess I'm proud to say I'm one of the few. So, And you've enjoyed Kansas City, it sounds like. Yeah, it's good. I don't, I, it, admittedly, I don't spend a lot of time here anymore. Um, cause I'm on the road a lot. My job takes me, um, some weeks I can travel, you know, eight, nine, 10 days straight, come home, change the suitcase and go again. I used to spend a lot more time here, but my kids love it. Um, two kids at Mizzou who are educated at, you know, Viz, Rockhurst, St. Teresa's. We live right by St. Teresa's love cool. Brookside. We ended up in Brookside cause it was the closest thing to Milwaukee we could find when we moved here. Oh, is it really? And, and that's why we, we, we've never awesome. left. I mean, we're, we've been in our house, our house we're in now we moved in. Like right after, like we put it on the market on nine eleven. Oh wow! And then closed like a couple of weeks later, amazing. and we've been there ever since. So it's amazing. It's, we love love that area of town, love our neighborhood. So well, I like that your kids go to Mizzou. That's where I went to law school. So yeah, I got to give a, right. a shout out that's there. Right. So uh, at AECOM, uh, you are responsible for strategy and execution of the integrated sports platform in the Americas, economics, cost consulting, planning and program, architecture, engineering, and operations. That's a lot of stuff. Tell us, tell it's us, kind bio. of, tell us, kind of. Uh, John, for the, the layman out there, what are you doing on a day-to-day basis when we're talking about sports? Well, the, the fantastic thing about the opportunity we had at, 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 AE, at AE, have at AECOM, and again, you know, I was a partner at LRB Beckett. We were a kind of a, an in architecture and engineering, and we did a little bit of construction, but not for sports. But we were pretty focused on selling one thing to a, you know, a group of people. With AECOM, we do literally everything. And some folks that's intimidating with in the area of sports is things are changing so dramatically. We look at so much private financing coming into sports projects, alternative delivery. You got, you know, the, the days of kind of like what we went through here in the Sprint Center where you have a referendum and there's a villain that's, you know, National Car Rental or St. Louis, whoever yeah. the villain was that sure. day. Yeah, enterprise. You know, this, this, yeah, enterprise. That's yeah. right. The, the notion of, uh, of there being like a, a taxpayer funded, you're seeing less and less of that now. I mean, I, one of my clients, uh, Tillman Fertitta in uh, Houston just bought the Rockets. I saw for two point two billion dollars. Mm-hmm. Wow. I mean, just I like saw that this morning. Yeah, private wealth coming into sports at all levels is uh, is demanding a different look and feel for for offerings. And if you're just an architecture firm in our business, I think you're dying. You know, it's the old: if you're not growing, you're dying. And I think the firms that are just architecture firms are dying. 
um, we felt like as LRB, we needed to have a broader platform so we can come in and help drive that business plan for a client. Um, we can talk about construction and delivery. We can guarantee prices. We can guarantee opening dates. Or we could just do really sophisticated integrated solutions like, you know, our new project at Golden One Center, the first lead platinum building in the world. Our construction arm opened what we think will probably be the first platinum NFL stadium at Mercedes-Benz in Atlanta. Our, our guys are cutting the ribbon on Little Caesars Arena. We were also the contractor on that. So we, we get the opportunity to look at all sorts of things differently and bring inputs and value in a way that if we're just selling good creative thought, which is not still very, very important, mind you, the ability to sort of synthesize clients' visions and make them reality. But I think the challenge in front of us is so much more diverse now. And then when you bring in, hey, I have a stadium in Houston, just flooded. What can we do from a resiliency? Right. I mean, AECOM has a huge global resiliency. Um, you have endangered species. You find an endangered turtle on your site. We've got people who can help you with that. You need a new highway interchange design. We can help you with that. So, I mean, we've found that sports projects are getting more and more complicated, and it takes takes a village of experts to solve those problems. And we, we also, bring all that. On the flip side, we saw what happened in San Diego, right, with the Chargers. That was seemed like it was going on forever. <laughs> yeah, I mean. If, and, and it's weird because I feel like that is a good destination for a team uh, just because they've had a team for so long, and they're pretty – it seems, seems to me that's where the next expansion team will go at some point. If they have a person that will build a stadium, I guess. The weather is private. The private funding. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, and that's a we've we've definitely been involved in that, and I know, you know, my friends and competitors have certainly done that. But that's I think that's a good lesson, and sometimes you just need to take a break. You know, I think that city and that team, while there may be fans, like you kind of have that with Oakland a little, but mm -hmm. I think there was such animosity between that ownership group and that city that they just need to take a break and maybe they'll come back and it'll be a different ownership group. Maybe it'll be the same ownership group. Mm. But I mean, we, we were part of a, a similar exercise in Charlotte a number of years ago where mm. they just needed to, I don't know if divorce is the right term, but they just needed it's like to a separate. Breakup, yeah. 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 They sent that team to new Orleans and they got a new team back and a new ownership who wanted to be part of that community. And then the community embraced them. But at some point, you know, like you said, those old school mentalities of you're the taxpayer and you're going to build me something. I think that still that still exists in in sports because you have so many so many old school ownership groups you know who won the lottery won the birth lottery if you will mm -hmm. and but they don't necessarily have the capital to do like what's happening in Los Angeles stroking a two point two billion dollar check for a new NFL stadium or like we're seeing more and more um, and, and that's that's struggling because they they've owned this family for generations they were the first league in the you know the basketball, whatever it was, the ABL or the old AFL, NFL, and they want to hold on to that, but the economic times have passed them by mm -hmm. and, and they need more cash than maybe just that family legacy fund has. Yeah. And, it's real interesting to see how it's changing. And, and, and Clifton and I, when our show prep talked about this, of how the incentives game and the, the ownership yeah. game is changing and how we're coming to a point where, especially with budgets being tied and state legislators the last 10 years, where people are kind of sick of uh, funding stadiums even if it is a uh, sales tax type thing on a hotel or you know, it works in vegas for their new stadium right it's, everything works in vegas <laughs> you just ignore anything that happens in vegas this is one of those times just ignore it mm -hmm. we we do a lot of economics work in vegas and it you can make anything absolutely anything work in las vegas and it won't work anywhere else mm -hmm. just because the 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 money the economics are so fluid there it's it's, it's actually it, it should create a better opportunity for some more really innovative projects because it is it is the laboratory. It's the moon. Mm -hmm. Things that you just would never be able to have an opportunity to do anywhere else in the country 
you can do in Vegas because mm-hmm. they just work financially, you know? Or apparently in L.A. lately, right? We'll see. Yeah. You know, we'll see. From an old Missouri guy, right? Stan Kroenke. Yeah. He, uh, his kid was in uh, college when I was in law school at Mizzou, so I used to hang out with him once in a while. Now he's with the Nuggets. He's a smart guy, though. I mean, yeah. I've seen him speak on his his European soccer holdings. I mean, he's he's switched on. He's not just a he's not just a rich guy who owns a team. Mm-hmm. He really understands the dynamics of the NFL, different from EPL, different mm-hmm. from NBA. I mean, he's I don't want to I don't want to be an apologist for the guy, but you know, because I think in Missouri, maybe everybody doesn't <laughs> love Stan Kroenke. St. Louis side for not, sure. Yeah, yeah. Not, not my <laughs> not my bag, but um, I just think he's he's really gets into it and as an owner, and he really understands the unique dynamics and business that makes each sport tick versus just I got a lot of money and I'm playing. Yeah, I, I kind of agree with that. Uh, John Nemeth is our guest today, director of AECOM Sports for the Americas. Fascinating uh, first segment. After the break, we're going to be back. We're going to talk about uh, some of the projects you've worked on specifically. We'll get into the one in Sacramento. I know that was a was an uphill climb to get that one built at some points. Uh, a lot of uh, potential stuff going on there. And also talk about some of the other projects you've worked on, uh, as well as get into what Clifton was talking about, about why there are so many sports architects here in the Kansas City area. You're listening to Grill Nation. We'll be right back after the break. I got that sunshine in my pocket. Got that good soul in my feet. I feel that hot blood in my body when it drops. Hello and welcome back to the Grill Nation show with Jason Grill. I appreciate you joining us again today, whether it's via podcast, on the radio, or online. Great to have Clifton Alexander from Reactor Design Studios with me today, guest hosting. And our guest today is John Nemeth, who's the director of AECOM Sports for the Americas. Just fascinating first conversation. I want to just briefly just delve right back into that. Um, Missouri, so we're talking about all of these places where things work, where you have private financing. We have... Saint, we think of ourselves as Kansas City and St. Louis. St. Louis just lost an NFL team. Uh, probably should get an MLS team, if you ask me. They probably should have had one years ago. Like, what do you see as the future? Because I, I, as a person that worked in politics, don't think that the taxpayer-funded, at least uh, from the state, is going to happen much longer with the way the government's set up right now. So, uh, you know, is it going to take a rich owner? Is it going to take how? How are they going to get MLS stadiums built in St. Louis? How the how is there going to potentially be an NBA or an NHL team at some point down the road here in Kansas City? Is it is it purely just going to have to find a big ownership group, or how's that going to work? Yeah, I mean it's a, it's a fascinating topic because you know in some in some respects, you know, I'm just sort of a caveman, you know, for the old the old uh, commercial pitch. I'm just a caveman, so I don't necessarily bring a high level of understanding to some things. But I think we in Kansas City, in a lot of ways, have benefited, you know, specifically on on minor league baseball and MLS from the generosity of the fine taxpaying citizens of the state of Kansas. You know, all the Legends development, the Star Bonds, mm-hmm. you know, we were supposed to have an MLS team with our, um, you know, quote-unquote wealthy owners, the, the Cerner guys in, at the Bannister Mall, but the state of Kansas mm-hmm. made a better economic deal, sure. if you will. And that's, you know, well-worn territory about stealing companies back and forth the mm-hmm. line for sure. whatever game. Sure, sure. But I think, I think the interesting thing about that, though, is – is is that program? Is there a model in that program that states like Missouri could could learn from? You know, it's in some ways they might say, "Oh, it's old school TIF financing," and you're you know build it and they will come. I'm not sure, but you can't argue with the growth and activity that's happened in an area that you know was a scout camp and a bunch of farmland 15 years ago, and that's the whole Legends Complex. Mm-hmm. Now, with that, you know that baseball park, that that baseball. When I say that baseball park, meaning 
you know, Kaufman would still love to see that downtown someday. Oh, yes. I think the Speedway is perfectly appropriate out there. In some ways, the MLS and all the stuff that's going on out there is perfectly appropriate. I think what we're seeing in terms of ways that make this work, and you, you know, my previous comments about, hey, look, this isn't just about a taxpayer-funded building and you're stroking some wealthy or moderately wealthy man or woman a check. It's about thinking about the whole economics. So, like, if we were going to do an MLS team in St. Louis, it needs to be part of a broader mixed-use development, like a Legends. Mm -hmm. But, you know, one of the things I advocate for as just, you know, again, a caveman, a guy, is it's got to all be integrated. you got to have the money needs to flow, you know, from Cliff's pocket to your pocket into my pocket, whether you're at a Dave & Buster's or you're at a restaurant or you're in a club or you're in the Blue Hell or whatever it might be. All that money still needs to come to me as quote unquote the team, faceless, nameless individual, but because that's how it works. You know, I think the days of us trying to make these sports facilities all about every, everything you need, you shop here, you get your hair cut, you eat dinner. No, just come there to go to the game and let the nightlife and the community be the community, but there needs to be some financial benefit there. I think that's maybe where Kansas City was maybe five years too soon. City owns the building, Cordish owns the rest. They're really, you could say they're in it together, but there's two different pot, pockets and pots of money. I think the places where we're seeing that the most, a lot of NFL teams are doing it. LA Rams are definitely doing it. Our building in Sacramento for the, and the NBA Kings is absolutely that. You're seeing it in Cleveland with them sort of spurning redevelopment of downtown Cleveland. It's all about how do you take that experience and the economic value, not impact not things that you could argue, you know, in the, in the political op-ed piece, but just I'm spending money. I'm going to an event. I'm spending money. How does that benefit the team mm-hmm. in some ways? And I think that's what we're seeing a lot of. And I think that's what's going to ultimately be the solution for St. Louis. It can't be just another tax taxpayer funded, whatever. I mean, I think they tried a number of years ago with the, you know, the convention center stadium model. And again, there may be some people who still think that's a good idea. I think that, Project was probably doomed to failure at the beginning. Two separate masters. I think football has evolved into such an entertainment-driven thing now where you're going to have either an average convention center and an average NFL stadium, and that's what we had in St. Louis. It was mm-hmm. not great anything. No one ever talks about, oh, that time Edward I went Jones to the dump. TWA dome. <laughs> it was so awesome. Or, oh, they had great boat shows there. We could do really tall fire trucks. No, it's nothing about that. Now we yeah. want so much more out of our experience, and yeah. how does it connect to the city? I mean, I think there's hope for – for for St. Louis and you know, like we were talking a little bit about before the break, I think we need to think about things as Missouri and how many pro sports teams can we reasonably support in Missouri. I mean, I understand Royals and, and again, I'm not from here, so I've I got no dog in this fight, but I understand Royals and Cardinals fans will never get along. And we were chiefs and whatever they used to be in St. Louis from an NFL standpoint. You're always going to have that interstate rivalry, but I think at some point the economics of this is Hey, why can't this be a Missouri thing? I know, you know, our, our firm's involved in LA 2028. We talked a lot about it being, it's not the California bid. It's not the LA bid. It's kind of the regional bid. And how do you get people to start thinking a little bit more broadly than just, you know, the geographics of their city? I and mean, when we have that in Kansas City, the old bi-state initiatives that gave sure, us unique sure. station. I mean, we have the ability to think bigger than ourselves sometimes. I think when it comes to pro sports in Missouri, it's going to take a little, creative thinking. And I don't want to say that we would necessarily want to fund their stuff, you know, air quotes over there. But I think there, there is a, a real valid discussion. Like if there's an NHL team 
could it be Missouri's NHL team versus Kansas City or St. Louis? Well, that's what a lot of Blues fans here in Kansas City. seems like they always try that in sports to say, like, uh, remember when the Marlins used to be the Florida Marlins? Well, eventually they all... California Angels are back yep. to being L.A. Anaheim. Eventually, it all goes back because that city is kind of like I want to own this. Yep. You can't, you Speak. can't put an NHL team in St. Louis and and give it to everybody in Missouri. But, but we we can now because they they're kind of claiming the Chiefs. We're kind of claiming the Blues right. until we, we get an NHL team. We have the Mavericks here, the Kansas City Mavericks. I want to talk about Sacramento because yeah. that's a team that used to yeah. be in Kansas City that yeah. we had <laughs> hopes and dreams of bringing back. Not which, not, not now. Not now <laughs> with, the, with the new stadium that you all built. I've got uh, an old Kansas City Kings jersey. Yeah, there's a lot of cool <laughs> Kansas City Kings stuff floating around in Kansas City. Um, tell us about that project that you worked on because for a long time I um, just thought that was never going to happen. I thought the Kings were going to move somewhere. You know, it's interesting. You, that's that That project in some ways, and I know, like I said, all the firms in town in some respects have the same story, but that was such a windy country road for us in terms of like we had help when it was the city. We were working with the Maloofs. I actually lost that interview in like 2003 as LRB Beckett. We lost it to another Kansas City firm. And like that project existed in so many permutations over the years. And then we would get asked by the city of Sacramento to do something. And then the project would go away. And then Urban Land, which is a big wonky planning thing, would ask us to come in because we were AECOM. But it just it twisted and turned. And it, it from our standpoint, it was it was fantastic. We went into an interview and we won, you know, just classic bloody knuckles, kind of all the firms from Kansas City and some from L.A., just kind of squashing knuckles and you know, winner take all. But the thing that was interesting for us is we didn't win based on the fact that we've done more NBA arenas than any other firm, that we have this fantastic major league or uh, national basketball league portfolio. We won based off of urban planning and a really smart environmental engineering approach. We came in and talked not at all about basketball. We talked about the redevelopment potential of a de- of a depressed, you know, state capital city. We talked about you know, you guys have a really unique opportunity here in Sacramento with this thing called the Delta Breeze. Maybe we could use natural air currents to cool a building that doesn't want to be open to the sky. We could create an indoor outdoor arena like never been done before. Really cool. And then we talked about basketball stuff. You know, and we just, I think it was stars aligned for us, but, and then it was kind of ironic us being from Kansas City and the legacy of that team, but I mean, it's just, it's, it's really a a case of you had a really enlightened client, you had a really switched on owner who wanted to do something different. And then I think our, our interesting expertise as Acom just came in and we, we caught lightning in a bottle a little bit, if you will. But it's a very cool design, that's for sure. Golden One Center, if you want to Google it, if you're listening, um, check it out. It's it's very unique. I've never actually been to Sacramento, so I've been all over California, but never been there. Uh, speaking of which, the Kings um, Sprint Center these days. It's about 10 years old now, I think. Yep. I was just there for a Coldplay concert the other day. Um, what are your thoughts? I mean, could it, is it still a good stadium? Out there, I mean, I know it's you're building five hundred million dollar uh, stadiums in Sacramento, but I mean, it still looks to me to be a good a good place to go see a concert or watch a sporting event. I think that's the thing. I mean, again, this is just one 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 uh, one guy's opinion. I think in some respects, Kansas City is lucky we don't have a team. You know, I've always said as again as an outsider, we're a college basketball town. I think really, Kansas City's heart of heart. We're a college basketball town. You have the you know, the, the, that school from Kansas, and then you've got Mizzou and K-State. I mean, I think this is a college basketball town, and that's what we love to support. And so, you know, keeping that building fresh and current, the power and light is a great makes that a great stop on the Big 12 kind of tournament. 
were always going to be a great ticket, I think, for the NCAA regionals. But the fact that it has an open calendar means if there's good tours out there, we're going to get a date Mm -hmm. because we're not fighting with an NBA team or an NHL team or two or three. And you look at some of these other, these other buildings and these other cities where just managing two pro teams like Denver, if you got two, an an NBA and an NHL team trying to find open dates that fit with cold play could be tough. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one of the stories about Kansas city that, I, I mean, I don't, I don't find it hard to believe, but a lot of folks do. It's a pretty successful building because of the fact that you can just have anything you want, anytime you want. And it's, it's good for basketball. It's okay. It's okay for hockey. I mean, I don't think it's a great building for any sport per se, but it's a great community building because of, like I say, all the things it does. You go down there. I mean, I, I went, <laughs> I'm a duck. I did the Matthew Knight Arena, our firm did Autzen Stadium. And so when Oregon was playing in the NCAA regionals, I walked into Power and Light with my Oregon gear on. I walked into a, a bar of all KU people, and it was the classic, like, needle scratch. <laughs> and one lady said, she started clapping. She stood up and started clapping because I was the only person in that bar wearing Oregon gear. But that's it. what it's all about for Kansas City. And that's, like I said, it's a, that's a fantastic, it's an electric experience for, like, the watch parties for, for MLS, the World Cup, college basketball. It's fantastic. John Nemeth, director of AECOM Sports America, is our guest. Fascinating conversation. We have one segment left. We'll be back after the break on the Grill Nation show. Appreciate you joining us today. Welcome back to the Grill Nation show, KMBZ 980 AM. I'm your host, Jason Grill, with uh, Clifton Alexander. Thank you for coming in today. Clifton Reactor Design Studios, reactorkc.com. can also connect with the show at grillnationshow.com. John Nemitz, our guest today, Director of AECOM Sports for the Americas. Uh, really fascinating conversation about sports architecture, sports funding, sports teams, innovations. Um, John, we've had a great discussion today. Let's quickly... Uh, Kansas City is known for kind of sports architecture. Why is that? Uh, why are there so many companies here doing so much good work? You know, it, it just it goes back to simple. It goes back to Kaufman and Arrowhead, and then just people being ambitious. You know, I might someone might say, well, it was people being short sighted, but you know, you had that that firm, the local Kivett Myers firm, and the Denver designer Kivett Myers bought by H and T B. People inside of H and T B getting frustrated, <laughs> wanting to do their own thing, being entrepreneurial. Boom, they go off and start a firm. Boom, they go off and start a firm. And then it's just the kind of like what happened in Silicon Valley. With yeah, tech. it really is. It really is. And, and they, and they, they supported that. And, and you said the Kaufman and Arrowhead, those were revolutionary at the time. Yeah. And that's what really two stadiums by each other, right? Yep. I mean, but if you go like prior to that, the center was Chicago, Ohio. There were a bunch of firms in other places and that really moved it here. And I would say in some respects, if Kansas City wants a rallying cry, we need to think about in the next 15 or 20 years, are we still going to be that center? Because a lot of companies with big national footprints are cherry-picking Kansas City people to go to L.A. or Texas or Georgia or D.C. and start those offshoots. They're mm-hmm. trying to grab the Kansas City culture and what we got in our network mm. and take it somewhere else. And I think you're seeing pockets around the edges wow. um, of, of firms that realize, hey, if you want to start it, the resumes, the reputations, the people are here, and we're going to – you know, it's, it's easy to recruit someone to L.A. or, or the South <laughs> sure, or the East Coast. It's hard to recruit yeah. people to Kansas City. So having somebody, 
Cliff, I'm going to give you a big job. And guess what? You get to live in downtown L.A. Whoo, twist my arm. Right, right. So I think we're seeing more and more of that. And I think the challenge for us is to hold on to that center of excellence for the next We could talk. We, we could have you as our spokesperson, John. We could do it. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so uh, let's see here. i got some quick hits for you here, Clifton and I thought about. Uh, what projects have you worked on that never happened that you wish did? Yeah, still haven't <laughs> happened. Um, you know, there's that second phase of the Autzen Stadium expansion that I think someday we'll do. If anybody's seen Autzen, we had a vision to flip that over. So that's, that's, be, that's the Oregon? Oregon, University of Oregon Football okay. Stadium. That would be a good one. Um, I don't know. I had downtown KC ballpark. Downtown yeah. KC ballpark. Yeah. I feel like I feel like if we could ever get that done, <laughs> it always, it'd just be epic. Yeah, There's, it always revolves back to the downtown. Kansas anybody City have any thoughts on the downtown KC ballpark? I don't hear that ever being talked about. I don't yeah. think anybody really Nobody wants it. Th- no yeah, one right. wants it. No one wants it. Right. <laughs> well, it's, it, it'll happen at some point because it has to. They're not going to build a new stadium right. there, and I it just hope it's, it goes downtown. I had a, a couple of of NASCAR. I mean, you know, architect who likes NASCAR, so just you know, sit down for that revelation but um there are a couple of nascar projects i was involved in years ago that didn't happen the staten island one i mean we had looked at some things i'm a i'm a motorhead i had tickets out at the speedway for a long time and i love love me some nascar but i've never been to one i need to get out there this oh, year we need there's to do one it. coming it's amazing it's tailgating it's it's like college football it's a yeah. day-long experience you can't just do the race you have to do the whole thing and that's cool. what gets you, so. you gotta check it out um what stadium did you want to work on that you didn't get to that you love my biggest regret, well, I don't want to say biggest regret. So our firm did Lambeau Field, the first round of Lambeau. In the, and I'm from Wisconsin, and I'm a little bit, fingers close together for the radio, I'm a little bit of a Packers fan. A little bit? A little bit of a Packers <laughs> And at the time, I didn't agree. Like, I had some philosophical cheese disagreements with the direction of that project. I said, look, I just can't. I'm too close to it. I'll have a hard time focusing. I won't be able to see, you know, be objective or think clearly. And so I said, I'm just going to go work on something else. And those something else were new football stadium for UConn, new arena for the Memphis Grizzlies. And I, to this day, I wish Mm. I would like, I take my son to a game at Lambeau every year and it would have been cool. It's cool to say our firm did that. It would have been more cool to say I did that. And I wish I would have done it. And I just, I was young and stupid and I, I didn't. (laughs) Um, One more for me. It was a good reason. What is your favorite sports team you've ever been to? And uh, let's let's excuse Lambeau because we know that's what you probably would have answered, right? Yeah, I would. Um, <laughs> well, I've I never did, been there. I've never been there. The thing about Lambeau Field that, again, I think it's it's. We were talking about owners. There's like there's no rich owner to blame in L in. I mean, in Green Bay, there's just a you know essentially an endowment or a trust fund. But I just think it gets it right. It's got all the sweets. It's got all the premium. But that seating bowl is as honest as a good college bowl. I mean, I like Seattle. Seattle, my I've been project. to Seattle. I've been yeah. to Seattle for the MLS Cup in 2009. It's the same thing. It was such a tough site, so many weird, silly constraints that it just made it great. It's a great location downtown. Yeah. And usually you think, I don't really want my NFL stadium right in the middle of downtown because I want to tailgate. Yeah. Right. But it works in Seattle. It works there. And they all go to Pioneer Square and they march along and the Mariners have picked it up now. I mean, it's such an integral. Yeah, when we were doing it, like, oh, you can't do that. And now everybody's like, oh, it's genius. I'm like, mm-hmm. yes, it was genius. So what about, <laughs> what, what about Arrowhead, though? I mean, you, you like where Arrowhead is for tailgating. That's kind of Arrowhead's thing. I mean, you have Lambeau with this yeah. stuff and tradition. Arrowhead's, Arrowhead is, is, is all about tailgating. It's you know fine. That. I just I've been to some games there. It's usually been Packer beatings, so I have bad memories of. Arrowhead. But as far as an old stadium goes, it's still and after the renovations, yeah. it's still it's still functional. It's, At some point, they're going to have to rebuild that too. I think. I mean, it's it's again. I'm an outsider. I hate I hate to keep saying that, but I think the end is near for Arrowhead. I know we we as taxpayers spent a lot of money on it, but I would advocate that's the last money we should spend on that place. 
it, it, it was of its time. There's an econ. I mean, again, the, the, the godfather sort of Ron Lubinsky, he came up with a thing that sort of transformed the economic model of stadiums. But I think we're seeing that thing now be also a significant economic hurdle that a lot of buildings are facing that there's just no way to get rid of, or at least I haven't thought of a way to get rid of yet. And I think, I think well, how many how many years? I mean, lease aside, how many years of longevity do you think these stadiums still have in them? Kauffman and Arrowhead. That's the that's the two billion dollar question for folks like mm-hmm. me these days. I mean, I think what we're trying to do, we're all trying to solve the problem of longevity and flexibility. You know, you'd like to think you don't have to spend a billion dollars more than once in your lifetime. Mm-hmm. And what can we do as designers or engineers or graphics people to build flexibility into a building? I mean, we go to places now like look you need to be thinking like your, your stadium or your arena or your ballpark, like retail, the second the paint's dry on whatever you done, done did start thinking about the next thing you need to start working on because okay. it needs to flip over. And there's some things that are going to be long-term investments, but the majority of your experience, we're, we're also fickle now that you need to be changing it up constantly. And this notion of we can do a renovation, the taxpayers will be good for 30 years. Not going to work in the future. I don't, I don't think that's where we're going. Innovations. What what are some things you're really hot on right now at stadium innovations around the world? Um, I, I think, you know, one of the biggest innovations, it's not really an innovation. It's just capacity. We're seeing buildings get smaller. I'm not the guy who does, oh, the cell phones are ruining sports. Oh, the flat screens. No, it's not. The product's ruining sports. Like, <laughs> have a better product. People will come. Design a cool stadium or an arena. People will go. We just sit here and been talking today about places like, I would buy a ticket to that no matter how great my TV was at home or how mm-hmm. good my cell service was. For me, those are enhancements to the experience. They're not the end all. So I I think this notion of, again, right now, economics, we've seen it starting to happen from, say, like 9-11 going forward. Everything needs to be smaller. You know, Cliff's going to buy a suite someday for Reactor, but it's going to be a four-person suite. It's not going to be a 20-person right. suite. People don't want the headaches of managing it. You still have people who want to – be salespeople and entertain and network or give it as a perk, but it just needs to be more consumable and bite-sized. But people are buying experiences. You give them a phenomenal experience, they're going to buy it all day long. It doesn't matter if it's a high-end business customer or a family, you know, taking their kids to their once-a-year game. So I think experience is the innovation. What is experience? What's different every place? And I think Mm -hmm. that's the other thing that we're learning is this notion that you can just copy-paste and stamp all around the country and people are, no, it just doesn't work anymore. We've seen that happen in a couple of sports where it's just the same building copied all over the place, and we wonder why no one comes. Well, that's fine. <laughs> John Nemeth, director of AECOM Sports Americas. Clifton, we're going to have to have him on the show again because we, so. uh, we didn't even get to have this our time. I John, feel like I asked you. too many questions, and <laughs> Clifton right. was just no, listening. You're fine. You're fine. I, uh, <laughs> I have a lot of uh, follow-ups <laughs> in the future. Uh, we might have to do this again, yeah. especially if there's a hot-button topic going on with sports architecture. Uh, in our local woods. Uh, that'd be great. Uh, John, thanks for coming on the show today. Clifton, thank you for setting this up. It's been a great show. I appreciate you listening today. Uh, we'll see you again next week. Take care. Have a good one.